We are so glad you're here with us uh, on this Sunday, and we are, we're continuing. This is going to be week three of our series in the Gospel of Mark. And, and if you've been with us these past two weeks, you've by now come to realize that there's really just one question that is beating across every single page of this Gospel. This question of, who do you say that Jesus is? Not who do others say that he is, not who do you imagine him to be but who do you say Jesus is? And when we come to our text today, Mark, Mark is beginning to really make things roll. Things are starting to happen, and they're happening quickly. And more and more about Jesus is being made clear. He starts his public ministry. He's preaching in the synagogues with authority. And he's not just preaching with authority. Authority beyond that of the rabbis, beyond even that of the prophets. He is demonstrating that authority by the things that he is doing. Demons are popping up and Jesus is saying, get out, and they're going. He's seeing diseases and he's healing them and showing that he doesn't just have authority in his teaching. He has authority over demons and over disease. And all the while you're seeing more and more and more of Jesus' power. And then we get to verse 40. And for the very first time we get to see something that so far has been hidden in Mark's gospel. We get to see Jesus' heart. Stand with me if you would and we'll read what God's word says. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him. And kneeling said to him, if you will, if you want to, if you desire to, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, as we come here to you this morning, Lord, we're grateful for the gifts that you give us. We're grateful for the way that you meet us through word and sacrament, through singing and through prayer. And we pray as we come to your word, Lord, we experience what is happening here as the very same stretching out of your hand that this man experienced in this moment. Would you take our hearts, and where they are fearful, would you still them? Where they are worried, where they, would you calm them? Where they are wounded, would you heal them? And Lord, where they are hard, would you break them? Show us Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can take your seats. Last year, 
the New York Times had an interview with Ginger Duggar where they were asking her about what her life had been like since the reality show that she and her siblings grew up on had ended. And if that name isn't familiar to you, um, if that's not a show that you watched, I didn't really watch it. Uh, she was on this show called 17 Kids and Counting, later 19 Kids and Counting because her parents kept adding to the brood. And, and on the show, they were pictured to you as a sort of model family. The, her parents were model parents, her siblings were model siblings, they all professed Christian faith, and everything on the surface, it looked shiny, it looked happy, it looked perfect. But in this interview, Jinger Duggar, who is now a grown woman who is married and has children of her own, she was confessing that behind that smile, behind that image, there was actually something darker. And while she had been, out of all the children, this sort of picture of sweetness and submission and obedience, behind that picture, there had been a little girl paralyzed by fear. Fear of a God that she believed had all the power in heaven and on earth, but one who at any second might smite her for stepping out of line, even in the slightest bit. And she recounted this story of being in a van with some friends on the way to a conference, and one of her friends turned on the radio and just put on some music. She said, in fact, it was probably worship music, but she'd never heard it. What caught her attention was this. There were drums. And she had been taught that God hates drums. And she felt her body literally go tense with fear because she thought that at any second God might flip the van. The God she'd been raised to believe in was not a God that you approached. This was a God before whom you trembled. Not a God that you loved, a God you feared. You know, we're all prone to have thoughts like that, aren't we? John Owen, the old Puritan theologian, he said, this is the temptation that plagues all of us. We are all apt to have what he calls hard thoughts of God. These thoughts of God where when we think of him, we think of someone who is angry and unapproachable, someone who is mysterious and hidden, someone who maybe has power but doesn't necessarily want to wield it for our benefit. And you see those hard thoughts everywhere. You see it in the writings of Cormac McCarthy in novels like No Country for Old Men and Blood Meridian where in those novels the question of God's existence isn't really the question at all. The question is what kind of God exists. And in McCarthy's mind, if we live in this world that is so full of horrors, then the God who made it, he must be a horror himself. It's the vision that one of my friends just confessed to me this past week where he feels like he's in this place in his life where all he has to offer is this abyss of need, this black hole that just sucks and sucks and sucks and takes and takes and takes, and he fears, he worries that maybe he is a burden to God in the same way he fears he's a burden to other people. It's the vision that I sometimes have of a God of perpetual disappointment who is constantly looking at me and wondering why I'm not better than I am. And those thoughts, conscious or unconscious, 
all of them are sitting there in the back of our mind and they are ruling and reigning over the way that we respond and interact with God. We wonder why it is we struggle to confess sin. We, we wonder why it is that we struggle to lift our voices in prayer. We wonder why it is that we never feel safe. And the answer is this. We aren't quite sure what God is like. Owen says there's only one solution. It's not more knowledge of God's righteousness or his holiness. That's just going to bring more fear. He says the one antidote, the one cure, it is the knowledge of the Father's love in Christ. And that is why this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospel of Mark. Because we get a glimpse in this moment of the Father's heart in the heart of Jesus. And you see it in the story of this man who when you look at him, he is absolutely desperate. Jesus is preaching. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And all of a sudden, verse 40, we are told that a leper comes to him. It says a leper came to him, imploring him, literally begging him, entreating him, saying, do something, do anything. He kneels before him and says this question, this very profound question, one that we have all asked in some form of another, if you will, you can make me clean. If you want to, you can heal my cancer. If you want to, you can save my child. If you want to, you can make me whole. If you just had the desire. And we don't really have a corollary in our world for what exactly this man is struggling with. His status, based on the world that we know, it is a strange status. And so let me just lay out a picture for just a second of what this man is struggling with. In the Levitical law, leprosy was a word that was used to cover a whole host of different skin conditions. And it was the one where if you had one of these conditions, you didn't just need to be healed of the disease. It wasn't like having the flu where you just needed to have it, your body fixed and things made whole. This was something that would make you ritually impure. So that what you needed was not just healing, what you needed was cleansing. And so long as you were unclean, so long as you were ritually impure, you could not be with the people of God because you would become a sort of living contagion. You were a threat to the holy status of God's people. And the degree of a threat that you were depended on what kind of leprosy you had. I mean, it could run this whole gamut. According to Leviticus 13 and 14, I would have been a leper for most of high school because of all the things I picked up wrestling ringworm, and all sorts of weird other things that live on wrestling mats where people sweat and they don't clean them enough. It's just gross. That's why you don't wrestle. <laughs> but all those things, those kind of diseases, that kind of leprosy, that's the minor form. It's infectious, but there are cures. Sometimes they fade with time. Sometimes they can be treated. And while you have to stay away from everybody for a period of time, Eventually, you can go to a priest, and the priest will look at you, and you'll offer the right sacrifices, and the priest will declare you clean, and you will be restored to the people of God as though nothing had happened. But there was another form of leprosy, a much more severe kind, that was not only infectious, it was permanent. It was the kind 
that would take away not only your control of your body, but eventually would take your life. And if you were struggling with that illness, not only did you suffer with the disease, you suffered with the sentence that that word passed over your entire life. You know, I don't know if we can really grasp this, so I'm going to take us back to a moment that might give some of you a little bit of PTSD. But in the early days of COVID, do you remember what you would feel when you would find out that you were infected? When that little test told you that you had it, do you remember what that experience was like? You had to immediately do what? You had to contact everybody that you'd been around for the past week, and then you had to tuck yourself away in your room where you could no longer interact with anybody except through the door or through a screen. You, you were cut off from your family. You were cut off from your job. You were cut off from your community. You were isolated from the world, but at some point, you got to go back. As soon as the symptoms went away and a certain period of time had gone by, you got to return. Imagine if that was permanent. That's a leper. They are told that they have to live outside the city in these special places where other lepers live. They're told they have to dress a certain way so that if you saw one, you know what they are and you stay away from them so they don't make you unclean. They have to wear torn clothes. They have to wear their hair long. And if they see you, they're supposed to cover their mouth and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if that doesn't sound dehumanizing enough, the rabbinical law, the tradition that was added on top of Scripture, it would have been even more dehumanizing because according to rabbinical law, if you were sitting under a tree and you were a leper, even if you were minding your own business and you weren't moving, if somebody just happened to walk by, just pass your way, that person would immediately become unclean, and not only would they become unclean, but somehow it's your fault. You were a living disease in the eyes of the world. There's a reason that when Josephus spoke of lepers, he said they were in no way deferring from a corpse. You breathed, but to everybody else around you, you were already dead. Even in the Old Testament, when God speaks of leprosy, it is of a disease that only one person can cure, and that is God himself. It's something that requires a miracle as dramatic as that of raising the dead. That's this man. His whole life has been stripped from him. We don't know for how long. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he was, had children. We don't know what his career was because his whole life, it's now summed up with the word leper. He's lost his name. He's lost his family. He's lost his job. He's lost his status. He's lost his community. And you find him in this moment, in a moment of absolute desperation, coming to Jesus and doing this incredibly audacious thing. He is so desperate, he breaks both law and custom just to get near to Jesus. He has been listening to all the reports of what Jesus is doing. This man who is casting out demons and healing diseases, and he has become convinced that if anyone can heal him, if anyone can make him whole, it's Jesus. And so he is throwing himself at Jesus' mercy, casting himself at Jesus' feet, but he has this one question. He's casting himself on the mercy of someone whose mercy he does not know. He wants mercy. What he doesn't know is if Jesus is merciful. And so he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and he says, if you will, you can make me 
clean. And we need to grasp what is happening right here because even if the leper doesn't touch Jesus, which the language actually hints he might have, even if he doesn't touch Jesus, he has already made Jesus ritually impure. He has imposed a burden on him before he has done anything, just by being in his presence. You know, imagine, imagine you were walking around one day and you knew that there had been an Ebola virus outbreak, which is, if you don't know what that is, go read The Hot Zone. It scared me as a middle schooler. It's this highly infectious, highly deadly disease. Imagine you know there's an outbreak, and you're walking along, looking at your phone, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, you see someone sprinting towards you, and you know they have the disease, and not only are they sprinting towards you, but suddenly they are in your face, hacking and coughing and begging you to do something to help them. How would you respond? I mean, I... I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. My instinctual response, it's not going to be to stand still. It's going to be to do what? It's going to be to get away as fast as I possibly can. It's to backpedal and to escape this thing that is not only threatening me for the moment, but that is threatening my life, this thing that is disgusting and terrifying and you can only imagine the emotions that that would boil up. You would feel terror and you would feel panic. You would feel anger that someone would dare put you at risk. You would feel frustration. You would feel disgust. And you would be moving as quickly as you could away from that person because you want to be safe. And that person, they are not safe. And yet, here's what's stunning. Jesus, confronted by a man just like that, Jesus does none of that. He doesn't backpedal. He doesn't move away. There's no hint of anger or disgust or revulsion or rage. Instead, we see this totally unexpected thing. Compassion. First, for the leper. It says in verse 41... Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. We, we all have moments that are seared into our memories because of the emotional intensity of those experiences. You know, one for me was finding out in fourth grade from my dad that my grandmother had passed. We had all gone to San Antonio because we knew she was in the hospital and we knew something was, was happening and we knew that her life was at risk. I mean, you understood. You don't just drive to San Antonio from Dallas just on a whim. And me and my cousins were hanging out at, the, at their farm waiting for our parents to come back from the hospital. And I remember the car pulling up and my aunts and uncles and my mom and dad piling out. And then each set of parents gathered their kids and pulled them away. And I knew as soon as I saw my dad's face what had happened. Because my dad was crying and I had never seen him shed a tear. He didn't have to say a word and I knew what had happened. This is a moment like that. The Gospel of Mark, according to most scholars, these, these are the experiences of Peter recounted to Mark. 
Mark is traveling around with Peter after the resurrection of Jesus, and Peter is sharing with him all the things that have happened. And if you notice, reading Mark, he doesn't exactly like spend a lot of time on the details. He's not Tolstoy where you can have like a whole chapter about what your hand feels like when it brushes through a field of grain. Like it's none of that. It's all fast, it's swift, it's action-oriented. So when Mark slows down, when Mark starts giving you details, that means there is something here that he thinks is important for you to see. Which means there's something he heard from Peter. Something that so struck Peter that years later he's still giving you the details of the moment and not only did it impact Peter, but Mark, in hearing Peter's voice, knew this, this was the thing that mattered. And so Peter must have stood there in front of Mark and said, in this moment, this leper came near and all the disciples, we responded like a grenade had just been thrown in our midst. We ran. We got out of the way. We escaped from him. But then we looked at Jesus and there was something happening that I cannot describe. His face his eyes, his mouth, his posture. Everything in him screamed, not disgust or rage, but pity. He wasn't moving away from the leper. He was moving towards the leper. And the compassion that was in his face, I saw it in his hands. Because he stretched them out and he touched him. Whatever fears the leper had in that moment, whatever questions he had about whether Jesus had the power, not about whether he had the power, but whether Jesus had the heart, that touch washed all, washed all those away, didn't it? Because Jesus had just given him a gift that he had never thought he would receive again. And what Jesus shows in his touch, Jesus adds to with his words, to the leper's question, if you will, you can make me clean. He says, I will be clean. And the text says, immediately. Not in a second, not in a moment, immediately the leprosy left him. What the Bible says only God can do, cleanse lepers and raise the dead, Jesus just did. And the leper, instead of contaminating Jesus with his contagious impurity, did you notice what happened? Jesus, if you can pardon the phrase, contaminated the leper with his contagious holiness. We think that if someone, if God gets around sin, it somehow taints him. But sin's not what's contagious to God. It's God's holiness that's contagious to us. Jesus comes near, and what does his touch bring? Holiness. He takes this man and he makes him whole. And the compassion that we see of Jesus in this moment, the compassion we see for this man, it isn't limited to just him. It is a compassion that he has for each and every one of us. And you see it in the weird commands that follow. Jesus does this thing. He saves this man. He shows this incredible tenderness, this incredible softness. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets stern. He starts admonishing this man with the same language, the same strength that he admonishes the demons earlier in chapter 1. I mean, look at verses 43 and 45. I mean, it is a rapid change. 
And it says, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. As quickly as he healed him, that's how quickly he sent him away. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. That's weird. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, there's two commands here. And we're going to start with the second one first. The, the second one is very clearly, he says, I want you to go to the priest. I want you to make the sacrifices that Moses commanded. And then I want that priest to bear witness to what has actually happened to you. I mean, right away we see something very important about Jesus. He hasn't come to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill it. He's not showing up and saying these laws don't matter. He has come as the only one who could ever perfectly fulfill them. And he's not saying that the purity they call for is purity you don't need. He's saying, I'm the one who has come to give you that purity. But there's also this. Did you notice the last phrase in that second command? For a proof to them. Think about what's happening. He's saying to this leper who has just been made clean, I want you to go to the priests so they can look at you and verify you are in fact clean. Which means, if cleansing a leper is something only God can do, what else are they bearing witness to when they say you're clean? They are confessing who I am which becomes a whole lot more serious when you remember who is it that begins to cry crucify at the end of the gospel. It's the very men who have just shown by declaring this man clean that they know who he is. But second, there's the first command. This is the strange one. But this is the one where we see his compassion. He says, do not say anything to anyone you know, this is the paradox of Jesus' ministry in Mark. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in me. Know me. Confess me. But then on the other hand, Jesus keeps telling people not to talk about him. The demons confess who he is, and they're right. And what does Jesus say? Be quiet. Uh, Jesus begins to accumulate a crowd just earlier in the gospel of Mark. People are gathering. That seems good to us, doesn't it? And then what does Jesus do? Jesus tries to escape the crowd in the desolate places so he can pray. And when his disciples are confused, he basically says, no, I've got to go to the other towns. I'm not worried about that. And then here, you have a man who's a living, breathing miracle. He is someone akin to the dead being raised and Jesus to this man who would be like a walking billboard, like come believe in Jesus. He says, no, I don't want you to talk about it either. Why? Like what's the reason? And the answer, it is staring you in the face in this text. It is because when the people hear of Jesus, all of them, to a man, they misunderstand who he is and why he's come. This man begins to talk freely, and what happens? The crowds converge so that Jesus can't actually do what he wants to do, which is go into the cities and proclaim the gospel. And what's the problem? They're converging on Jesus because they think he's simply a miracle worker. 
They are coming to him because he is able to give them temporary relief of temporary ills, and they have missed the fact that Jesus has come to do far more. Until the cross, every confession of who Jesus is, it is either premature or it is false, including the testimony of Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. Because what is revealed on the cross It's that it isn't just the leper who is unclean. It's all of us. And the whole ministry of Jesus, everything from his birth to his life to his death and his resurrection, even to his intercession now at the Father's right hand, that was the stretching out of God's hand to us. And notice this. To heal us not just of disease, but of something far more serious than itself. And it is a healing that on the cross we see comes with a cost. And you even see it pictured here in the leper. Because how does Jesus make the man whole? This man has been living in the desolate places. That's the sentence the law has passed on him. He comes to Jesus for help. He imposes a burden on Jesus. Jesus heals him so that he can now come into the city. But where does Jesus end up having to go because he heals this man? He's in the desolate places. He takes the sentence of the leper onto himself. And by bearing his burden, he brings him home. What God does here in Christ to the leper, that is what he does for us on the cross. There is this beautiful moment, I've quoted from this book before in John Andrew Bryant's memoir on mental illness in the gospel, where he is sitting in the psych ward and he's there because he's committed himself because he's just lost his mind. His brain is literally turned on him and he can't figure out how to break out. And he says, when you're in a psych ward and you're surrounded by other people struggling with mental illness, he goes, there's certain questions that people in the psych ward just aren't asking, that maybe people outside would. He said, for people in the psych ward, the question is not if hell exists. They know hell exists because they're in it. The question, the question, he says, is if Christ, if hell is a place where Christ will go to get them. Mark 1, the gospel, the answer is the answer to that question is absolutely yes. It's the whole reason Jesus came. John Calvin, he says this, he says, when Jesus took upon him our flesh, he did not only deign to touch us with his hand, but was united to one and the same body with ourselves, that we might be flesh of his flesh. Nor did he only stretch out his arm to us, but descended from heaven even to hell, and yet contracted no stain from it but retaining his innocence, took away all our impurities and sprinkled us with his holiness. He took the burden of our sin on himself so that those who had been cast out of the garden and away from the presence of God might be brought in, not as those who remained unclean, but as those cleansed by the same contagious holiness of Jesus. Which means the God of the scriptures The God that we see here in the Gospel of Mark, he's not actually like the God of Cormac McCarthy. He's not like the God imagined by Jinger Duggar. He's not like the God maybe imagined by you and me. 
Mark says, no, the one God, the God who is there, the God who has all power in heaven and on earth, there is only one he is like. He is like Jesus. And if that is the case, then all of our hard thoughts, they get washed away. The beauty, as T.F. Torrance says, is there is, in fact, no God behind the back of Jesus. There isn't Jesus and then this other figure behind him who is not like him. There is no act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in him. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God. The very love and life of God poured out to redeem mankind. The mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save sinners. All things are in God's hands, but the hands of God and the hands of Jesus, the hands we see right here, in life and in death, they are the same. Which means this, if there is no God in heaven except the one who is like Jesus, there is no heart in heaven except the one that is like Jesus. And if that's true, then what do we have left to fear? Come as the leper came. Come with your infinite abyss of need. Come with your doubts and your wounds and your hurts and your questions. Come with your burdens. In fact, come and be a burden because Jesus has come precisely for this reason, to bear those burdens himself. Jesus, in his kindness and in his love, he says to our question, if you will, if you want to, you can heal me. If you want to, you can make me whole. If you want to, you can forgive me. Jesus says the same thing to us that he says to the leper. I will be clean. Amen. Father, we are so grateful that this morning as we sit here, we aren't calling to a God who is somehow hidden behind Jesus' back. We are calling on the God who reveals himself in Christ. So Lord, wherever we have dark and frightened imaginings, wherever, Lord, we have settled on a vision of you that is not true, wherever we have allowed our misperceptions to make us think that your heart is not tender towards us, but hard. We pray, Lord, would you melt us? Would you bring us to the stream, the fountain of your love that is in Christ? And would you wash all those fears away? Would you do this now in his precious name? Amen. Would you stand with me to receive the Lord's benediction? May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Amen.